Paranormal with Dr. Yana and Dr. Elliot, where science meets the unexpected, where we delve deep into the mysteries that straddle the line between scientific inquiry and paranormal. Get ready for a mind-altering journey as we embark on this phenomenal discovery together on United Public Radio Network 107.7 FM. All right, welcome to another episode of Science in the Paranormal. This is Dr. Elliot with Dr. Yana, and we are recording live from the United Public Radio Network, UFO uh, Paranormal Radio Network, 105.3 and 107.7 FM from New Orleans and also on Roku TV. Fantastic, Dr. Dr. Elliot. Dr. Yana, how are you doing? Yay! Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, Dr. Elliot. It has been an interesting week. We are so lucky to have Dr. Elliot with us today because he has not been feeling well and he's been preparing for this show all day long, drinking herbal teas, taking baths. <laughs> Did you go to the barber? <laughs> no, not yet. No, 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 barber. <laughs> not, not yet. Didn't have the energy for that. Oh, my God. Yeah, no, I'm pretty sure I caught the actual influenza. I had all the symptoms of it. Uh, and um, I haven't had it in a couple of years. And I never got around to getting the flu shot yet. So I'm um, pretty sure that's what struck me down. And, uh, yeah, it's not too fun. I'm pretty sure that the not ha- being immunized, uh, it didn't strike you down. So, well, that's true. It, Louis, but... <laughs> it brought me down a couple notches, but you're right. It didn't didn't strike me down per se. Yeah. No. <clears throat> but we're so glad that you're here with us because you could have easily said, I'm so sick with a man flu, you know, oh, <laughs> having yeah, a low grade fever and you're moping around dying there. Well, uh, I, I was making a joke about it at first. Because, uh, you know, I know that men usually tend to be, you know, act like they're sicker than women. And uh, Sarah and I got into that debate one time and then we, we looked it up on uh, ChatGPT. Because there are some articles out there that say, uh, and they claim to be scientifically backed that, um, you know, men do get sicker than women and stuff like that. But we, uh, we looked it up on artificial intelligence and apparently it's not true. <laughs> men and women get sick just the same. You guys are just tougher. And how come? Did you? Are you just uh, better than us in some ways? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's uh, yeah. It's been this one's been uh, this one's been brutal though. Uh, how come in... there's no such a thing as uh, women's flu? Because we don't have a flu. We no. have to care for the families, husbands, houses, works, and everything like that. We don't it, have a chance. It's true. You guys don't have time <laughs> to get sick. It's no. So true. No, no, no. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for being here today no and problem. discussing this incredible topic of law enforcement and mediums. Yes. Yeah. Law enforcement mediums. So law enforcement is a, a fairly closed off community when it comes to the paranormal. I wrote a couple of books um, on the paranormal and law enforcement. Uh, the first one was uh, Supernatural. Encounters, true paranormal accounts from law enforcement, and the second one was more supernatural encounters from law enforcement. But uh, generally, um, you know, police officers are 
kind of closed off on sharing their paranormal experiences with people. So I lucked out. Uh, I don't know if it was my background in law enforcement because I served 15 years with the Royal Canadian Man and Police myself. Um, and the fact that, you know, I do paranormal investigations and have been involved in parapsychology for 26 years. Um, but I, I managed to get people to open up to me and kind of kind of share their, uh, their experiences with me. Um, which, you know, I'm very, very fortunate about, but it's kind of something you don't hear about a whole lot. And when it comes to law enforcement using mediums for investigations, it's certainly not considered a, a conventional investigative technique, you know. Um, but in which would, cases would you usually employ them? So a lot of times uh, I find... Up, uh, in my experience, anyway, up here in Canada, mediums would contact us, and it would usually be in uh, missing person cases. Um, and of course, they would give the information, and uh, we do have to follow up on on it. You know, when you're running a major case file, every lead that comes in does have to be followed up on, especially if uh, there's going to be you know criminal charges down the road. Because otherwise, if you don't, it's what they call a red her herring. You know, it's something that can be brought up in court and uh, it's a, you know, uh, investigative lead that you never followed up on at some point that can be mm -hmm. brought into question. So, um, you know, they'd usually call with some information. You'd have to document that in the police file and then, of course, follow up on it. Um, wouldn't happen too often. I, I'd say that there was a couple cold cases uh, when I worked up in uh, Yellowknife Northwest Territories for anyone uh that's in Canada there, that's up in the subarctic, um, very cold spot. Um, we, uh, we had a couple of cold cases that had, uh, mediums had called in. Actually, there was a girl that had gone missing just inside Yellowknife and uh, a medium had called in from New Mexico, uh, with information. Um, it, uh, didn't really seem to match the case at all. Uh, mm. when, I, when I read it, it was, um, you know, totally different information even the landscape and things like that uh but you know somebody took the effort to call it in we have to document it we have to follow it up kind of thing so um it, it is taken seriously i think i talked about on, on another podcast once i had a friend contact me uh that does remote viewing and she was seeing an article around london about a missing person and she was kind of getting some information about it and she had contacted me and asked me, you know, she should call the, call the police. And I said, yeah, I said, if, if I were you, I'd call them and explain to them, like, you know, who you are and what you do and, um, provide them with the information. I said, if they're professional, you know, they'll follow up on the, on the leads. And, uh, so sure enough, she did, she called, she gave them the information. The detective that she spoke to was really, really good. Um, he actually phoned her back several times to get some follow-up information, and they they took her information uh, really serious, uh, which was which was nice to see. Um, so, what was the outcome? Still missing. Yep, still still missing. So she didn't provide any valuable information that she thought that she did have something. No. <coughs> Excuse me. No, she didn't. Uh, she uh, provided the information that she had, um, but uh, nothing nothing turned up from it. Now, with that being said, there's uh, there's one case uh, that I often talk about. Her name was Dorothy Allison. She's deceased now, but she was a, a medium um, that would help out the New York Police Department quite a bit. 
And uh, she was working with them on this uh, missing girl case. And she could see an oil drum. She could see the number 222. And she could see the word Mar, M-A-R. And it didn't make any sense to the police, but they documented in the file. And uh, she said, uh, you know, I'm not sure this is just the information that I'm getting. And about two years later, um, over in Staten Island, they actually found the girl's body. It was inside an oil drum that had the number 222 on it. And uh, next to it was a rock that had the word MAR spray painted on it. Mm-hmm. So um, you just never know when that information might become important. You know? So for how many years has she worked with the New York Police Department? Uh, she's done uh, she's done several cases with uh, with the New York Police Department, which is um, New York Police Department's interesting uh, because I know they they have had a couple officers that have also been paranormal investigators as well. Uh, one, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think they have they have have a TV show and uh, yeah. or had had a TV show, and then uh, there was another one where uh, they made a movie um, uh, about it. So uh, they might be a little bit more you know, open to, to the idea, but, uh, for the most part, most <laughs> law enforcement agencies will kind of use it as a last resort or the family will get, get the mediums involved. Um, that happens quite a bit. I interviewed a guy in my book, um, uh, Chuck was his name. He was a retired police officer from Salem and, uh, he moved to Florida and he get a call one day from a family saying that the, their son was missing and that the police have exhausted all their leads. And uh, the police actually suggested to them maybe contact the medium and see if there's you know anything that you can find out. So they found Chuck's website and they contacted him. And so he uh, started looking into it and he told me that uh, he was getting the information from their son that was missing. So right off the bat, he was really nervous about that because uh, to, to him, that means that the person's crossed over and that he's dealing with the spiritual, uh, the spiritual soul of that person. So he didn't want to tell the family that, you know, he's basically conversing with, with their dead son. Um, but he was able to get a bunch of information uh, about the son, which turned out to be accurate. Um, you know, for example, they, uh, he said uh, he could see this truck and there was like McDonald's garbage on the passenger floor. And they said, yeah, that sounds like our son's truck. He's got like a old beat up Ford and he's always throwing his fast food wrappers on the, on the uh, floor there. And uh, they asked if he liked to rock, rock climb because he could see uh, uh, almost like bloody knuckles. And they said, yeah, he's an avid rock climber and all this stuff. So they ended up getting a map out and the son was trying to give uh the medium chuck the coordinates on where he was and they managed to uh narrow it down to this kind of remote park area and um they gave the coordinates to the police and uh they had to use atvs to kind of get into this the spot but they found him and uh the son had uh, committed suicide Mm. and um he, uh, I guess he had a fight with his girlfriend and things weren't going well. And, uh, they ended up finding his truck and, and his body. And, uh, you know, the family was happy that they, you know, had closure, even though it wasn't positive news, but, um, they were happy that they had some closure. And, uh, then of course the police were asking Chuck all kinds of questions. Like when's his last time he's been to California and all that stuff, because they were, 
you know, uh, starting to think maybe he was a suspect or something because how did he have all this um, accurate information? But yeah, uh, that is yeah. interesting. That's yeah. very interesting. And if you employ, um, I guess, legitimate mediums, because there are a lot of uh, fake ones as well, um, can, difficult rather to say that they're professional mediums because you don't go to school of mediumship, right? But uh, some people that can actually see. But what is mediumship? You know, in the scientific language, it is called remote viewing. And that is so interesting to the extent that we will go in order to set ourselves aside from this layman terms as a psychic, a clairvoyant, and uh, move towards more scientific terms. Like I, for example, call myself a seer. I don't want to be called or even be seen as a clairvoyant or even a medium because I am not. And uh, um, as a PhD, I'm trying to think like, how am I going to come out out of the closet, so to say, what am I going to call myself? I'm not a clairvoyant because when you tell people that you know, uh, they immediately assume, oh, are you a clairvoyant? Are you a psychic? I'm not a psychic. Um, but that information uh, um, on remote viewing, remote viewing is essentially the same as uh, mediumship and uh, um, there was a very interesting project called the Stargate Project, and you know about it. And so $20 million been poured by the uh, defense agency, U.S. defense agency, to this project. Uh, and that is so interesting that they have been conducted so many sessions of remote viewing to identify the objects uh, of the enemy on the long distances. That would essentially be uh, sleepers, correct? They call them sleepers. Yeah, no, they they uh, they spend a lot of money on uh, on uh, studying remote viewing. Uh, a lot of the information that they gathered from from that project is still classified to this day, which which is interesting. You know, having worked for the government uh, before myself, the only reason that you would do that is you know if it has information that would jeopardize national security or. It would uh, release an investigative technique that you don't want the public to know about. Um, other well, than if they declassified, for example, the CIA took over in uh, 1995 and they declassified a lot of uh, documents from the Stargate project. So a lot of the case, that was their claim that <laughs> it was so scientifically not valid and they uh the majority of the cases uh, were not even been able uh even to identify uh any objects uh, of the enemy any uh, in any country so that was so interesting to me that uh, for 20 uh, was it the 20 million dollars and from 1978 to 1995 this project was up and running and uh, with a lot of people involved. And then all of a sudden it was deemed invalid and unscientific and not much coming out of it. So uh, it was deemed as a pseudoscience, but nevertheless, uh, in your experience, Dr. Elliot, would the government actually spend so much money and time on a project and later disqualify it completely 
well, if there was no evidence. There, there is a lot of wasteful spending in the government. There's no doubt about that. Um, what I think happened in this one, though, where there's still uh, there's still a lot of documents that they haven't released. I would say that there's something in there that uh, that they've discovered or uh, there's information in there that they wouldn't want uh, other countries to, to know about and that could be the technique or you know maybe maybe they saw a couple of things while they were doing the remote viewing as well that they don't want uh, people to know about um there's certainly a reason why they wouldn't you know disclose everything uh for sure um and that I do is find a it very that's a very important by the way and i remember that the ellen dallas who used to be the head of the CIA, he said our only problem, because he was comparing uh, CIA to the Russian KGB, and he said that our only problem why we are still inferior to the Russians is because we cannot keep our mouth shut. Mm. And that just, I was stricken by it. And I said, that's exactly what it is. And I read his book like probably 25 years ago. And that's exactly the case. Yeah, because we don't want certain documents to be published. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And uh, I mean, the CIA's had an interest in the paranormal for a long time. They've collected a lot of strange material. Um, I was just on the internet the other day and came across... Uh, a couple of uh, articles from the Journal of Parapsychology, I think, that they had classified at some point and then they declassified it. So, you know, like they were collecting material on, uh, you know, especially to do with psychics and ESP and, and psi abilities and things like that. So definitely, um, you know, something that they're interested in. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of scientific studies done in laboratories as well on ESP and psychokinesis and remote viewing that have had uh, statistical significance above chance. Um, so uh, you could see how the government would be, you know, interested in in learning more about this, especially if you could use it for uh, warfare and things like that to discover targets, like you said, uh, targets you might not know about and, and collect yeah. intelligence, um, you know. But very... it originally started in 19, what, the uh, 72 in Stanford, Research Institute uh, by Russell Targ, mm. and 65% of the cases, they have to have the 65% um, of the accuracy rate, just 65% in order for the project to uh, go on. Now, yeah. who is sick here? Dr. Elliot, you just, uh, you contaminating me. <clears throat> Stop coughing there. <clears throat> I know I'm trying to I'm trying to mute out anytime <laughs> I cough so I don't pass it along to you digitally. <clears throat> yeah. No, it's uh it's, it's very uh it's very interesting though, uh the use of uh of mediums, you know, because it has uh it has solved, you know, some cases. Um uh, there was a there was another uh case that Dorothy Allison did actually uh she like I said she was really popular she did one um in Atlanta City I think it was called the Atlanta Child Murders and uh they ended up contacting her and um she provided specific details about the victims and the location uh that was connected to the case and um her information didn't directly lead to the arrest of the perpetrator but it did uh draw significant media attention and they did end up finding um a suspect uh 
named uh, Wayne Williams, I believe, and uh, had arrested him. So, um, again, you just when that information comes to you, you you're, you're not really sure what it means. So that's why it's important as a police officer to document all that in the file because you never know when you're going to have to go back and review your notes and when it'll make sense to you. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's important to know. I, I think even a lot of times when the mediums get the information, they're not even sure why they're getting certain pieces of information, you know, it's just coming to them. And like you said, they use uh, remote viewing, uh, they might use actual mediumship, like where they're talking to a, a deceased person, or um, sometimes they'll use psychometry, where they use an item and they gain some information from that item. Maybe the missing person left something, <coughs> excuse me, significant behind, and uh, they can use that to gain information. Yeah, and <clears throat> that is also, uh, in fact, uh, mediums are also instrumental in having a closure. Uh, yes, it is good to find the missing relatives, for example. But at the same time, even if you find them, uh, of course, there is a sense of grief, the overwhelming grief. And then uh, I guess uh, just uh, by being able to find um, the son that those people were looking for, that gave them a sense of closure. I remember myself, um, having a very interesting uh, case uh, that was um, I wasn't with the at, at the church I guess it was the house uh, that several people got together and they were praying and um, reading the Bible and I was invited as a guest that was the first time when I uh, almost like within the first year that I arrived to the United States and they called me and I came over and uh, we were having a good time. And when everybody prayed, I had a very interesting uh, vision. I had the face of a young man coming on to me, like a big, big face with an incredibly wide smile, a fantastic human being. And he said, tell my parents that I am doing okay because it's been, he said, the six months and they have not been able to find their closure. Just tell them that I am okay and I'm doing fine. And he ended that, he said, give them the three-way hug. And he pointed out to the people that I was supposed to tell it. And I did, I revealed that uh, to the couple and they were in their forties. I didn't know that their son died. And I said, there is a message for you, in fact. Uh, and when they listened to me, they did not believe at first. And they had to go and consult with a pastor because, you know, anything can transpire. Mm -hmm. So I told them that everything was fine and uh, that, that he wanted them to know that everything was okay. And I described the way he looked and what he was saying. But the thing is, nothing would persuade them. And I said, I'm not here to persuade you in that. He asked me to give you a three-way hug. And they started crying because they said, he is the only person and the only child in our family that was always like to give three-way hugs. And you didn't have any way of knowing. So six months after their son died, somehow 
he was able to come back and talk to them about it. But they said that we were crying uh, and asking God to show us, to reveal to us what had happened to our son uh, after death, whether he was okay or not, because he was in a car accident. And nothing, they didn't hear anything. And uh, they were pretty good uh, Christians and they would pray every single day and communicate with God and so they couldn't. The interesting thing about that, that the death of their son was very abrupt, was very sudden. Since the very early childhood, he would not allow his parents to start the car if he was not buckled. Hmm. And then, then he was, uh, I think he was 21 years old. And he would always buckle up, always buckle up. But he just finished the police academy. And he didn't sleep all night long and he just passed exams and he was driving back home and that was the first time that he wasn't buckled and he hit the tree big tree on of the highway and he died immediately on the spot so oh, they <clears throat> did not uh they were unconsolable of course that uh, they couldn't even understand what was happening and to find this kind of a closure after six months of their son dying was very important to them. So whether people are just the uh, uh, seers or mediums or clairvoyant or remote viewers, uh, it is all, everything is uh, uh, essentially is the same. It's just the remote viewing is in fact uh, developed the pretty uh, sophisticated uh, um, protocols in order to be able to remote view. But at the same time, it's all the same. So closure is very important to people. Oh, definitely, like you said. And uh, that is one of the positive things about, uh, you know, psychics and mediums is that, uh, you know, if it's done properly, it can, it can provide closure to people. Um, not just in law enforcement investigations, but just in general, you know, I know, uh, I, I've known lots of people that have gone to see a medium after a loved one's passed away and they, you know, get some sort of message that is meaningful to them. That's come through, uh, uh the medium and it, it makes them feel at peace. It gives them a uh, belief that, uh, there's life after death and that their loved one's okay. And, you know, it, uh, kind of helps, helps with that healing and grieving process. So, it does. But I noticed yeah. that somehow after people die, there is a six months period during which they cannot come through onto our side. And after six months, they're able to uh, communicate. So that is very interesting. I don't understand why it's six months. So in my practice, it's been a lot. And I've noticed that six months is uh, like the, the, the target uh, mark. So that's interesting. That is uh, really interesting, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think it's a positive thing to to help people, you know, kind of move on. Um, and you know, for the mediums, also, it is uh, uh, um, very important also to um, live their life understanding that they are not only helping people here, but they're also helping the deceased ones because a lot of the times they would want to come through and 
they try to find some sort of a closure. And that may sound as uh, really nonsensical, but at the same time, if we look at that, that there was a, an alive human being, and we consider this life, physical life, and our physical body is, is the only life. And then those people uh, pass away and they, they go into, into a different world. And then somehow, all of a sudden, they're all dead and they are called bodies. So there was just a person. And as soon as the person died, it is a body. It always uh, just give me shivers just momentarily one second the person is alive and the next second he's called a body so with those kinds of uh, uh in those kinds of cases i believe that uh, those people also find uh closure by contacting the mediums here on earth you do you remember that movie of course it, it was a comedy the ghost remember with demi moore uh, remember, <laughs> Bobby Goldberg was so incredible. Sometimes I laugh at myself because sometimes this is exactly how it feels to me. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't walk around on the street and talk to anybody <laughs> like that into the air. That's but, funny. Uh, I'll have to watch that now. It's been a long time since I saw I that. I know. <laughs> it's such a great, great, great movie. I remember yeah. myself that I had a friend uh, coming over from the overseas from Europe and she stayed with me with uh, uh, her uh, one-year-old child and uh, she had a boyfriend there back there in Russia and she was um, uh, she 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 would just stay indefinitely and that is so interesting to me because she didn't have a work she didn't have anything else and she would just stay with me indefinitely which was already a month and her boyfriend which I never met in my life he would be calling me from Moscow and telling me you tell her to clean after herself you tell her to wash dishes to do this and that and I said listen I can't do that she's my guest so it was so funny but I've never actually met him in my entire life I did not even know how he looked like so all of a sudden like after about a week of communicating with him as well uh, over the phone not even the video calls because it was a long time ago we did not have uh, video calls at the time only through the computer through Skype uh, she uh, I, I would get all of a sudden the sense that she needs to go home because something is going to happen and I told her that and she got so upset and offended that I was kicking her out essentially, which I was not. But I told her that you have to be home. There's something that is going to happen. I don't know what exactly. I cannot even read it, but you have to be home. So she packed up and she went home and she calls me the next day. And she tells me that so good that I came home because her boyfriend was shot that very day and he died wow he was one of those uh, uh big shots uh, in moscow and uh, had probably uh, many enemies and uh, he was shot and she said that if i didn't come home i would have never been able to see him or even to say goodbye uh which in those cases you can never say goodbye but at least she was able to see him so what happened after that i uh, being in the United States, I that was the evening, and I uh, was uh, going about the, my evening routine to uh, get ready to go to bed. And all of a sudden, 
I see a person coming through the um, glass doors and he comes to me and he stops by me and starts speaking Russian and like, huh, what is going on here? And he told me his name and um, he was wearing this uh, brown pants and gray jacket. And um, he told me to, uh, he asked me actually to tell his uh, girlfriend um, that he loved her. He said, please tell her that I loved her. He said that I never told her that. And for which I regret never telling her that I loved her. But please tell her that I love her and I want her to be happy. And I turned around because I did not want to see anything like that. I said, okay, maybe I'm hallucinating. It's nighttime. I want to go to sleep, whatever it is. So in about 10 minutes, he comes back and he said, I asked you just like that. I asked you to tell her. <laughs> and I remembered Whoopi Goldberg. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, was, that was funny and tragic at the same time. So I'm calling her and I'm telling her, you know, you, uh, I need, I have something to tell you that you may not believe or you believe whatever it is, but it doesn't really matter to me. So I told her that her boyfriend said that he loved her. And she immediately said that he never told me that he loved me. I said, that is exactly why he said he never told me that he never told you that he loved you, but that is why he wanted to let you know and for you to be happy. And I described what he was wearing. And she started crying. He said that was exactly what he was wearing when he died. Wow. So people on the other side, I call them people, you know, like, yeah, they became spirits. They became yeah. ghosts, essentially what we call them. But yeah. they were people just uh, the day before. They were people, uh, alive human beings that you com communicated with. Uh, they left their human body. But nevertheless, they remain uh, humans, uh, I guess, in the spirit form. Yeah, that's that, that's kind of the way that we teach uh, <clears throat> teach our parapsychology students as well is uh, you know to have have respect uh, when you're on these ghost hunts and uh, you know to realize that these uh, spirits used to be you know living human individuals that had feelings and emotions just like we do and uh, you know don't go in there screaming at them and and trying to treat them like a circus animal i've actually been on investigations with other mm -hmm. groups not my organization but uh other groups where uh yeah people do that and and uh i have to kind of pull them aside and explain mm -hmm. that to them it, uh, it's just so unprofessional to, to do stuff like that for sure um because like you said you know if if uh the survival hypothesis is correct you know and we pass on after our uh, physical life here, then we're the same kind of human consciousness and personality in the afterlife. So um, they should still be treated, you know, with respect. And Absolutely. And the reason why I'm saying that uh, is uh, because there were a few people that, for example, even here in uh, San Diego, I, um, it, it, it just blew my mind because uh, I had a friend which I did not know anything about him, about his personal story, a friend and acquaintance, I guess. And then all of a sudden, after a conversation with him, I'm coming home and I'm being contacted by a woman that used to be his wife who died two years ago. 
like you said, ex-wife. <laughs> that was not an ex-wife. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> like that day. <laughs> that happened. That happened to Sarah the other day too. We were talking about yes. this, and she kept calling the deceased persons the ex-wife. And I said that happened to me on the show with Yana. I kept saying ex-wife. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. I've got it now. It's a deceased wife. <laughs> <laughs> the deceased one, right? Yeah. So it's um, very interesting that uh, she came to me and she asked me for a favor. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. She said, there are two children that we had uh, with my husband, two children that I'm asking you to help with my daughter. And she said, if you help me with my daughter that is having problems right now, I'll be watching after your kids. And I'm like thinking, oh my God, she's going to be looking after my kids from there. And not that I really need help uh, for my kids to be watched by somebody else on that side. But I felt a tremendous grief for her because after even two years, she was still vigilant. She was still around her kids. And she told me one word. She was actually, uh, without even naming, she was a professor at one of the local um, universities. She was a psychology professor. I was very, uh, um, uh, she was a renowned scientist here. And she told me, she, she actually said one word, which I did not know that in English at all. She said, and I said, okay, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to look it up later. I don't know what she's talking about this word. Oh, what does it mean? She said, he ostracized me. Oh, and yes, like, ostracized. Yep. Ostracized. And I wrote it down and I looked it up and I understood the entire dynamics of what was happening there between them. And uh, how would I come around just to say that, you know, your uh, wife that passed away contacted me, you know, and asked for help? How am I going to go about that? I tried to help his daughter, but uh, there was uh, no chance because there was such a difficult dynamics there. I uh, And so unhealthy, I could not even get through. But what I'm trying to uh, say, how important it is to even to listen to what is happening there on the other side, because uh, dying, for example, of cancer, that poor woman, that uh, she, even after two years, she was still sticking around with her children mm. that were young, uh, that uh, probably were uh, 14 and 16. So that is very interesting. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I could have easily brushed it off, you know, just could have easily and just left it off uh, or even just dismiss it. 
but I learned, I'm, a, I'm also a linguist, but I did not know that word. And I learned something interesting, but at the same time I tried to help, but I couldn't. So. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, <clears throat> also common too, that, uh, you know, some individuals will hang around uh, to kind of look after their kids from a spiritual sense. Um, we just had a case uh, a couple months ago uh, where a gentleman's father had passed away in 1991 of a massive heart attack and he was uh, still present in the house. And uh, when we brought our medium from paranormal phenomena research investigation to the house, um, she had talked to the the spirit and he basically said like when he died in 1991, he felt like he still had a lot of life to live. Didn't want to leave his wife and his family. Um, so he stuck around on our plane and, you know, continued to watch them. And, you know, fast forward from 1991 when he passed away, it was still 2023 and he was still there kind of, you know, watching over his family. Um, but uh, felt that it was, you know, time to move on. His wife had passed away this year. And when she passed away, mm -hmm. she just disappeared. Um, she didn't kind of hang around like he did. So he felt, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he felt like he, he should go be with his wife. So uh, Jody was able to kind of uh, talk to him and, and he made the decision to kind of move on. However, however they do that, uh, you know, in the way that we don't understand scientifically. Um, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's very common that, um, you know, if you pass away that you might want to hang around with, with your loved ones and try and look after them uh, as much as you can. Exactly. And one of the funny uh, cases that I had, I had a, um, a friend <clears throat> which I came to visit and uh, she was getting ready to uh, marry. Uh, her wedding was supposed to be like in about two months uh, from that time. And I was so happy for her and we were discussing everything and uh, I went to wash my hands in the bathroom and I'm not just, oh, it's such a beautifully made bathroom, the incredible sink, marble everywhere. And all of a sudden I hear a voice, a male voice. I did it all with my own hands. He's like this. So be careful. Don't touch anything. He's like this. <laughs> I was like, oh my, gosh. oh my God, this is bathroom. I'm just washing my hands. And he said, I warned you, I made it all here with my own hands. Be careful with everything. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm going out and I'm carefully asking her, so what is going on here? <laughs> Someone just spoke to me in the bathroom. And she said, that is my uh, husband that died uh, five years ago. <gasps> and he did everything wow. with his own hands and he was very protective of her. And she was communicating with him all this time. She never wanted to kick him out of the house, you know, because you think that mm, this is kind of weird. So she was she was welcoming his presence. And not only that, she said that he was the one who brought my uh, present fiance, whom I'm going to marry soon, into my life. So you never know. But the fact wow. is, that was the second uh, person uh, who did not have any frame of reference about what was going on, that uh, I was, um, um, I didn't know what was happening. I did not her, didn't know her life story. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm able to read into the situation that happened some time ago, even to communicate, to be able to hear what was happening. So it's not only her personal story now, it's, uh, bec it becomes the, 
objective reality that if we, for example, listen to people and just saying that, oh, they're just making it all up because of the grief, because uh, uh, they, something happens to them, to their psychological state of mind. But when there are other people involved and they can hear and see uh, the same as that person, then it becomes objective reality. Yeah, no, definitely, for sure. <clears throat> no, that uh, I, I agree with you. Um, those are all very fascinating experiences that uh, that you had. You know, this is so interesting that uh, uh, the Stanford Research uh, Institute, when they started the, the project at Menlo Park in California with Russell Targ, uh, the interesting thing is that uh, Russell Targ, that was Harold uh, Putnoff. And Harold Putnoff, interestingly enough, uh, he was actually supporting the ideas of uh, Madame Blavatsky, who, by the way, was Russian, uh, it, in her book, Occult Chemistry, where she was able to remotely view the inner structure of an atom. Adam. Adam. How would you pronounce it? Adam. Adam, yep. Adam, because that's not, uh, that, that's, I guess, uh, isn't a Latin word, right? Adam. So this is, uh, um, if we look at that, the, these are two scientists at Stanford University, Russell Tark and Harold Putnoff, right? They're the scientists, they're physicists. And they are talking about occult <clears throat> mysticism. And why do they do that? Why couldn't they, couldn't they just be just like everybody else in the scientific community and just brushing it off? No, because they had an evidence that remote viewing is possible. Although at the time of the Madame Blavatsky's, uh, when she was reading, uh, writing her book, it was not called that way, right? But she was still able to look into inside of the atom, something that we're able to do now. You know, if we look at that um, into this remote viewing situation, I have been doing that, I guess, my entire life since I was a child, although I did not call it remote viewing. So when I discovered that and about the Stargate project and everything, I was so surprised that uh, there's the whole science about it. And I have been doing that my entire life. Of course, I'm not going around and telling people that, but this is what I do. I inquire, I ask questions, I call it spirit, doing spiritual research. <clears throat> I inquire and I get answers and how I'm able to see, uh, not always that it happens, of course, uh, uh, sometimes I'm not allowed to see that, I guess, uh, uh, what uh, some would call karmically, um, well, we can be karmically predisposed to see something, karmically not predisposed, so evidently I wasn't supposed to see some, something. But a lot of the times I'm able to see what happened in the past, in the present, and in the future. But the future is uh, not so clear as the past and the present that I can see. And I'm able to see into people's situation like you and I were doing, <laughs> doing our own research. Okay, like at six o'clock, I want you to tell me what I'm going to be doing. <laughs> and <Yeah. clears throat> I planned, right? And I planned, I said, okay, I'm going to be baking at that time, which I rarely do nowadays. Okay, but six o'clock, I said, you're going to tell me what I'm doing at the time. So it was six o'clock. Yep. And you said, 
you know what? <laughs> later, later that I asked you, did you see yep. what I was doing? I said, all yeah. I could see was this <laughs> white sleek car, almost like a Tesla. And I said, I don't know why, but I just saw this Tesla. And then you said, uh, yeah, my daughter called me and she was t telling me about all the ugly white Teslas that drive around <laughs> California. And there's too many of them. Exactly. Um, which is funny because exactly at, at the time when I, you know, got that impression, I didn't know if it would even mean anything. Uh, I mean, that's that's all that was coming to me. And uh, yeah, so you just never know, you know, it's going because back. you weren't specifically following the protocol. OK, because uh, you were running around. But if you decided, OK, like, take it seriously, I'm going to just sit down and I'm going to do uh, this experiment, you would have gotten it probably. You would have gotten in the baking part and the Tesla part and everything, but you're in between different projects. But you were still yeah, and able, that, that, you were able to tune in and yeah, see. Yeah, and, that, and that's that the thing too. You have to use all your senses too. Like maybe you would have got a, a smell of the baking or, you know, something like that. Uh, remote viewings <clears throat> using all your senses, not just uh, not just your mind. And that is not a difficult thing at all. And those people, by the way, who did remote viewing uh, at the uh, the Menlo Park at the Stanford University, those people were not originally psychics. Yes, they were uh, employing Uri Geller, the um, the man uh, from Israel, right? Um, which prompted the Depar Department of Defense interest in this project. And that's why they started pouring all the millions of dollars into the Stargate project. But a lot of the people, uh, they were just the ordinary individuals that just followed the protocol and were able to uh, get their minds on the alpha waves length, right? And then uh, being able to see remotely. It's not a difficult thing. It's just it's it is possible to learn, and the only thing that is stopping us, I believe, is our own mind. Yeah, <clears throat> no, for sure. I I agree with that. I think a lot of people would say that we're our own worst enemy when it comes to, to things like that. Because yeah. from the very young age, we're told we can't do this. You can't do. You can't can't do this. And of course, that you're being uh, banished for, um, for for weird things like oh, seeing spirits, for example, right? Or communicating with somebody that you don't see in a room. So that can be seen uh, by different societies as a very silly thing. And you and I growing up, okay, well. Actually, it was a little different probably in my society <laughs> with, with my parents because we lived in Baku in Azerbaijan and it was a, a, a mountain area with lots of mountains and hills um, and there was um, lots of sightings of the UFO and even from my balcony, uh, we were able to see that because we lived on the hilly side uh, in the city and on the left all of our balconies where we were able to see the Caspian Sea, the Gulf of the Sea. It was so beautiful. And to the left, it would be the Gulf of the Sea. And in front of us, the city that would end with mountains. And the sun would be setting behind those mountains. It would be so gorgeous. But then we would see a lot of the times getting um, onto the balcony, like at night in the evening and at night, we would be able to see a lot of the UFOs. And at that time, we did not have technologies that would uh, to build the spacecraft that would move silently. At that time, we didn't have it. And that they would move silently. That is so interesting. 
to me that we were able to see that and not just the me and my parents and other neighbors of ours. And um, that was interesting. So growing up there, of course, uh, it was a um, country that did not believe in God, right? It was 70 years of uh, godless story, so to say. And um, people did not even go to church. And if they did, it would be really hush-hush and nobody would even tell uh, each other, wouldn't share about it. Um, so if your child, like myself, speaking about my parents, if your child starts seeing things that other people don't talk about and you have no idea how to deal with it, what, what do you do with it? So I was so thankful to my parents to actually support me on that. But the yeah, only thing they told me... <laughs> That's really good. Totally. A lot of a lot of yeah. parents would which try and shut it down or <clears throat> try and discourage the child, <clears throat> you know. So that's uh, that's good that you had supportive supportive parents. Yeah, the only thing that they told me: don't tell anybody, just tell us. <laughs> and I realized that it would be said that that's you know funny. it is schizophrenia and it's clinics and everything like that. And um, but my parents, they were they were really fascinated. Um, but what by what I was telling them because uh, it wasn't always any uh, incredibly wonderful, funny, fun things that I would tell them what would happen. Actually, a lot of the times in the future, if I saw it, I would see uh, death either of a close relatives or somebody that I would see on the street. I would know how many days they would have left to live, and I somehow that information. Um, uh, was transpired to me, and I would tell him, and surely enough, that would happen. But um, it, those are the just the not such common cases. Uh, and a lot of the times that we uh, didn't know what to do with it. And as a parent, for example, now that I um, I'm able to to uh, know what is happening now. Uh, and what, what's happening beyond after we die and researching uh, um, this life from the point of transpersonal psychology and archetypal psychology. Uh, with my kids, I know what is happening. I know when they see something that is legitimate. I know uh, I'm able to uh, talk to them about their dreams and help them understand them. So um, we need to have more understanding parents. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> I agree with you. Uh, I think when it comes to the paranormal, a lot of parents try and uh, silence their kids and, you know, don't want to bring it up. But I obviously being a paranormal investigator, I'm pretty open about it with my two kids, too. Uh, Meadow is really fascinated. She's my three and a half year old. Uh, she's really fascinated. She's so cute. <laughs> ghosts, and, so yeah, cute. <laughs> ghosts and zombies. Incredible and personality. Stuff. And uh, my other daughter, uh, she uh, she's more like a skeptic, I think. I don't think she really uh, pays as much attention. But she's to a it. beautiful skeptic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, you guys are listening to Science and the Paranormal, broadcasting live on the United Public Radio Network, the UFO Paranormal Radio Network, one hundred five point three and one hundred seven point seven FM in New Orleans, and also on Roku TV. Tonight we're talking about law enforcement and mediumship. All of a sudden, Dr. Elliot turned into this radio TV, radio <laughs> voice. All of a sudden. <laughs> try and, yeah. I try and get it in there. I try and get it in there. Just imagine if we get a couple of sponsors. If there's anyone out there that wants to sponsor us, uh, we can throw 
throw your information out there too. <laughs> yeah, please email us. Uh, yeah, yes, that would actually, be great. Uh, yeah, we do have a website, guys. If anyone's interested, uh, you can go to uh, our website at www.scienceandparanormalpodcast.com or you can send uh, Yana uh, or myself an email at scienceandtheparanormal at ppri.net as well. For sure, and we welcome any questions. We haven't had any questions here, have we? No, Someone... no, not, not tonight. <clears throat> not tonight. Um, Someone wrote cops here. So what is cops? I don't understand. I guess I they're know. calling you cops. <laughs> Could <laughs> because be. you were I, working in the law enforcement. I, but in I've fact, been called worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, going back to uh, mediums and, and law enforcement, I know sometimes uh, when, uh, when we get information from mediums, it can be overwhelming. And, and one uh, big case um, if anyone remembers the disappearance of Elizabeth Smart, which happened, I think, in uh, 2002, um, the police in Salt Lake City had received over 9,000 tips from psychics or mediums, um, some of them saying that they had visions, some of them saying that they had dreams. Uh, it took the police several hours to uh, go through a lot of... Um, a lot of those tips, uh, the family felt that uh, none of the information provided by the mediums uh, were um, uh, had any like valuable information, and uh, she was eventually uh, somebody had recognized her abductor from a police photograph. Uh, is how they kind of solved this one, and uh, it had nothing to do with any of the uh, psychic information that they had re received. So. Sometimes, uh, depending if it's a high-profile case, you know, the, the police can get overburdened with, with a lot of phone calls uh, of information. And again, you know, most people are calling because they want to help, but uh, it can also kind of create a, a bit of a burden to investigate a burden for the police. That is, uh, um, that can be problematic because uh, if you're waiting for some legitimate information, uh, from the witnesses, for example, and then you get bombarded with all sorts of calls from people who are supposedly seen something. That can be problematic, but you said that uh, you all have to follow up on that, not to be, what you said, red herring? Yeah, you don't want a red her herring left over, you know, something that you didn't follow up on, um, because if you do, you know, if it does go to criminal court and there's charges laid and, you know, somebody provided you the name of a, another possible suspect and, you know, the first thing the defense lawyer would say is, you know, did you follow up on, on that tip? Well, no, we didn't, you know, so you didn't look into this guy that could, you know, you had some, a, a citizen come forward saying that it might have been, you know, a suspect. Yes. And you never followed up on it. No. <clears throat> so it looks it looks really bad and it can kind of discredit your case. Um, so you, you, that's why that's why the police, even in the, the Elizabeth Smart case, it took them several hours to go through all those psychic tips. It's, it's because, you know, they, they have a duty to uh, to go through it. Um, another uh, kind of black eye uh, in, in the law enforcement world uh, using uh, mediums was uh, from Sylvia Brown. Um, you know, uh, it, it's funny. I remember I bought one of her books and and read it and i mean she was a good storyteller but uh she certainly had some issues uh in her life she was charged with fraud um a couple of times and but she had a, a really bad incident in 2004 i think it was uh she told the mother of uh amanda berry who had been missing 
uh, for a period of time that she has died, that she was deceased. And uh, Amanda's mother had passed away uh, thinking that her daughter had been killed, but mm. uh, she was actually found alive uh, in May 2013. Um, she had been kidnapped uh, by uh, three individuals. And um, so Sylvia uh, certainly received a lot of crack criticism uh, for that uh, false statement um, by telling the, the mom, you know, that her daughter had uh, had been killed. And then, of course, the mom passed away. So she never got to to live and, and see that her daughter was actually still alive. Although I'm sure she would have known on the, the other side, in the spiritual side, you know, she would have had more answers than Sylvia would have. Exactly. But the thing is that there are a lot of people who are eager to share the information that they have supposedly received that did not even check. You have to check, even if you're a medium or psychic, you still have to check that information to check your sources, right? You have to check your sources because you can't just absolutely believe the first thing that comes to your mind. You have to verify. You have to uh, check with yourself, with your sources, and then, and then, relay this information to anybody, especially information like a loved one dying. You know, that's, uh, um, I remember um, my grandmother when she was in World War II and she was so good. She was, I guess, the psychic at the time. And she was really good uh, about being able to see things in the cards. That was, it always blew my mind. She knew everything all the time about anybody. She's just like, pulls out the playing cards and bam, she knows everything about everybody. So she, she told me um, that after World War II and even the last couple of years of the war, the women would always come to her and ask, could you please tell us if our husband is alive or maybe he's dead or missing, just please tell us. And she said so many times I would be able to see that they're dead, but I could not bring myself to tell them and to deprive them of the last hope. She said, I could not do that. So where is that ethical line that we have to draw in order to tell people like this psychic went ahead and uh, told the mother that her daughter was dead. Um, we have to be able to accept this kind of information with um, doubt, with a healthy uh, doubt. Otherwise, um, it will be impossible to live. Like, yeah, for example I, I, I like the way Chuck dealt with his case there uh, with the family from California where, you know, he was getting the information from the son on the spiritual side, but he, he wasn't, wasn't telling the family that. Exactly. Uh, and right. then he, he gave them the information, they gave it to the police, and then the police called and uh, told the family, you know, we found him and, and this. And then they called Chuck back and said they found him, they found his body, they found his truck. Boom, now he can come and, you know, say something to the effect of, yeah, you know, I I was talking to your son in the spiritual form kind of thing because now he didn't, he wasn't the one that said, you know, your son is deceased. And uh, he told me that he hates doing it anyways just in case that little voice, because uh, he's a clear audience, so he hears Mm -hmm. uh, inf information from his, his spirit guide. Um, but he's, and he said, he's always worried that, uh, the spirit guide will give him some false information or that he'll be wrong. He said, it he's never, possible. yeah, he said he's, he's never been wrong, <clears throat> but he said like, 
you know, when it comes to telling somebody that their loved one is, is deceased and you're wrong about that, he said that's a huge mistake. So um, I think, yeah, Sylvia probably should have uh, used some restraint there, probably in that case, in the uh, Amanda case. You know, I have, uh, um, I was thinking this morning, I've read something um, in the line of, um Somehow, when we are really experts in something, we always doubt ourselves. But people who are not experts at all, who are not even knowledgeable in the area that they portray themselves as being knowledgeable, they are the loudest. And the people who are actual experts, they will not be so loud. So if you look at this, uh, um, Sylvia, um, what was her last name? Sylvia Brown. Yeah, Sylvia Brown. If you look at that and um, it's, has she passed away already? You said she good, passed away. That's a good question. No, she didn't. Uh, I hope she's not listening uh, to us uh, and not uh, sending uh, any uh, curses uh, at me. <laughs> I think I think she did pass away actually. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> maybe uh, from the other side, not passing any curses. How dare you doubting me? I'm pretty sure she did. Uh, um, just, just let me double check. Uh, but that was yeah, she passed away in twenty, passed away in twenty thirteen. All right. Okay. So hopefully, even from the other side, she's not going to be coming to me and say, "Knock, knock! How <laughs> dare you?" <laughs> oh, which is quite possible, but um, that is a real problem when people. Uh, have such confidence uh, in their knowledge that they are ready to share that with other people without checking their for forces so sources. Yeah, May the force be it. with us. <laughs> that's just it. You have to uh, you have to try and corroborate as much information as possible. Um, you know, especially before you make a accusation like that that uh, somebody's child's passed away. You know. Yeah. With the, um, I remember that how we, oh, actually I wasn't, I was a child at the time. I wasn't even born at the time, I guess, when the United States decided uh, to really employ psychics for the military projects. Because uh, at the time they were so concerned about the, the psychotronic research in Soviet Union uh, and the Russians actually employing a lot of psychics uh, uh, for the remote viewing projects that we decided to do the same thing here at the time. And I guess it was the same thing with the moon, going to the moon, right? The Russians went to the moon and we have to really beat the Russians and land to the moon first. So we developed, um, somehow we can't read as much of this information about the Russian projects, but in, in the United States, uh, declassification of this uh, uh, documents, uh, has been really public and anyone can look into that yeah <clears throat> the uh yeah you're right uh, i think you're i think you're you're right when you said earlier that the uh russians are almost better at keeping secrets than, than the americans for sure it seems uh that they definitely talk a lot less about their projects and and things like that than than we do yeah, that's true, because uh, I remember that when I was teaching special forces and I was teaching Russian, uh, they would talk a lot about everything. And uh, I would remind them, I said, uh, we are learning Russian here. And you never know who is standing in front of you. 
why would you be discussing that with me? How do you know if I'm not a, a double agent somewhere? Or oh, God forbid anybody of those people are listening to us right now. <laughs> How do you know that? And I told them, I told them about that the Ellen Dulles's phrase that that's our problem, that we're too uh what is the word? Uh mm, not we're blabbing too much. In any case, we're blabbing too much. <laughs> it's, the, it's the evening time and it's snow outside and we're blabbing too much. Yeah, so as Americans, we're blabbing too much. What about the, uh, in, in uh, Canada? What's the situation there? Um, Canada's a, yeah, a little bit more quiet too with its disclosure, but uh, um, we do have also a very unique situation, you know, for example, with uh, UFO files. Uh, UFOs used to be investigated by uh, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the organization that I used to work for. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of uh, police documentation that uh, exists on um, these cases. <clears throat> and they're really good because uh, this is before the Freedom of Information Act. Um kind of came into effect so you actually had witness names involved uh so you could kind of like get the police report and kind of do your own investigation so we've had some really cool uh cases that we've been able to find and um uh the government of canada also on uh, their national archive website has also uh posted some of their bigger ufo cases uh ones that people always ask for uh disclosure on so um they posted it online but it was kind of neat that you know we had uh, the rcmp that used to investigate ufo sightings and uh there was a whole uh <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> there was a whole uh <clears throat> procedure on what to do uh, when a ufo sighting would come in you'd have to uh call the uh, canadian forces and let them know and you had to do it before you went off off shift if you didn't do it before you went off shift um you know you get in a lot of trouble so it was kind of cool that uh, that we had that system in place. Um, they don't do <clears throat> they don't do UFO investigations anymore per se. If if somebody was to call in, you know, call nine one one right now and, and say that they saw a UFO, it would generate a file, and they would uh, certainly go and have to go and investigate it. But um, it's uh, not like before where there was a lot of documentation done and different agencies were notified and and things like that. Um, other than that, we didn't. Uh, I actually looked to see if we did any uh, remote viewing, um, psychic kind of experiments uh, up here in Canada, and there's uh, none that really stood out uh, that we did, unless there was some talk that possibly Canada might have given some money to the U.S. Uh, to help with their funding. Um, so sometimes Canada will do that instead of uh, running a project or an operation themselves. They'll just kind of piggyback mm. off of. Uh, you know, one of the, <clears throat> one of their uh, friendly nations. Um, yeah. So we didn't uh, necessarily have anything uh, like that, but you know, we, we, we have had some cool stuff. One of, one of the cool things was the uh, 1967 Shag Harbor UFO crash uh, that happened mm. off the coast of Nova Scotia, which is the province that I live in. Um, and again, that was documented by the RCMP. There was RCMP police reports and <clears throat> multiple witnesses involved and the Canadian Navy and the American Navy were involved. So um, it was uh, basically called Canada's Roswell, except uh, 
There was a lot more government documentation involved with it, which was good. And that one was never solved. <clears throat> they, uh, it was October, uh, October 4th, 1967. Uh, a couple of local uh, people in the Shag Harbor area saw some lights kind of descending in the night sky, and they thought it was an airplane. And it kept kept kind of going down towards the water, <clears throat> and uh, eventually they they kind of realized that it was in trouble, and they said, you know, this doesn't look good. It looks like it's going to crash, and then sure enough, uh, it did. It crashed into the ocean, and uh, they could see lights underneath the water. So of course they called the local RCMP, and um, they thought that the kids were drinking because uh, it was young kids mm. that had had witnessed it. So. Um, but all of a sudden, uh, other <clears throat> other individuals were calling the the police station, saying that they had witnessed um, something crash into the ocean as well. So the RCMP uh, dispatched uh, a couple of members from Barrington detachment to go and investigate, and some of the local fishermen came out and helped them uh, go out and search the water. They found like a strange yellow foam on top of the water. The lights eventually kind of disappeared and then uh, they had to wait until daytime <clears throat> and get a, a real extensive search going but they never found anything they never found any debris they never found any luggage they never found didn't have any missing uh planes um yeah for all intents and purposes it uh it remains a unsolved ufo case well maybe that was not crashed what appeared to be a crashing site that was not a crashing because a lot of the time that they can just appear under the water and they can have their bases under the water as well. So which is would be on the North Pole or also um, at the South Pole. Yeah, it could be. Uh, that was one theory is that um, <clears throat> there was a kind of a second story that came out of Shag Harbor. Uh, and the, the story was, is that the UFO had kind of traveled up the coast of Nova Scotia to another community called Shelburne where a second UFO had come down and uh, tried to help repair it. <clears throat> and my friend, uh, Chris Stiles, he'd, he'd be an interesting guy to have, have on our show sometime, actually. Uh, he's, he's a great talker and very uh, well-inversed in the UFO uh, field. Um, he actually was able to kind of piece this together just recently. He just put out uh, his new book called Clear Sweep 5, and what Clear Sweep 5 was is it was a NATO exercise. <clears throat> and what he found through his digging in, in part of Shag Harbor was uh, he spoke to some divers that were involved in this. And they said that um, the uh, Shelburne UFO incident was actually happened seven years before Shag Harbor in 1960. It was a totally different UFO incident. So off the coast of Shelburne, there was a UFO underwater that was damaged. There was a second UFO that came mm. to kind of help repair it. Um, Chris interviewed some of the divers uh, that were involved, and they said that they took video um, footage of uh, extraterrestrials repairing the craft underneath uh, the water and uh, submitted that uh, footage to the government. And they uh, disappeared. What happened to uh, the footage? Of course, of course, yeah, it disappeared, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, it's a very, very fascinating, you know, case. And uh, that'd, be, that'd be interesting if we do a UFO episode. I'll have to have Chris on because... Uh, Let's do a UFO episode. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. because he, he uh, I won't, I won't ruin his research, but uh, I'll let him, I'll let him tell the story. But uh, no, he did, he did a lot of digging, but the most fascinating thing I found was when he interviewed the divers that said that they were filming extraterrestrials that were outside the spacecraft underwater uh, trying to repair it 
Um, and that was coming from Canadian Navy divers that, uh, that told them that. Did we have equipment to videotape under the water at the time? I believe so. Yeah, it, it sounded like it was those bulky, old bulky cameras. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. that with Jean-Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, no, very, very fascinating. No, but information like that, of course, is going to be disappearing. Um, and that is so interesting to me. Why would all that research be classified and not really known to the public? Why is that in your opinion? Well, <clears throat> with extraterrestrials, you think? Yeah. Like, that's a good question. I, I kind of feel like, uh, the government still, even though things are kind of opening up and people are becoming more open to, uh, the idea of everything. And I think today now with the way the UFO disclosure is going, I think people wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, if it came out that we're not alone, that there's extraterrestrials. But I do think that they still have this fear that it's going to cause things uh, like the stock market to go crazy. It's going to mm -hmm. cause relig religions to go crazy. It's going to cause maybe some civil unrest, um, you know. But uh, I know, for example, like <laughs> we're all kind of fatigued after COVID and all the different things that have happened, like uh, inflation and cost of things and the shortages of products and supply and demand. And I remember uh, when they were talking about those alien bodies from Peru uh, in Mexico, um, you know, they basically, it was on TV. They were having this uh, Mexican Congress hearing and, and uh, they showed bodies that they said were extraterrestrials. The and, small uh, ones like that? Yeah. Yeah. The little, uh -huh. little, little small guys there and okay. uh i know the testing has come out since then and uh um they did have some someone else test it saying that uh there's part of it that they don't understand where the dna comes from so it's it doesn't appear to be something from from here on earth and that caught like almost no media attention at all you know what i mean like people and there was actually TikToks and like memes going around, like saying like, uh, you know, the government and the media just said that aliens exist and nobody cares and no one's saying anything. And it's so true because like everyone's just so wrapped up kind of like in, in their own lives right now. And, you know, some people are just trying to uh, make ends meet and we have enough problems that uh, hearing that aliens exist, people, it's, it doesn't phase them anymore. So I, I, I <laughs> I really don't. I really don't know why you know the government continues to uh, to deny us um, that information. It's, but it's uh, also the director from the government to the mass media uh, organizations, to the newspapers, and to the TV shows also not to talk about it. There is a directive. I'm sure about that. Yeah, the uh, the one fascinating thing I found uh, this this year was uh, David Grush uh, coming forward making the claims that he did as a, you know, a former U S intelligence officer saying that, uh, you know, he's spoken to multiple different people, some people on uh, some of the podcasts he's been on, he's, uh, he's named some of the people he's spoken to about, uh, them having, uh, crashed UFO, uh, material, not of earth and non human biologics, things like that. And, uh, again, the media just, I don't know, doesn't seem to be, when did that, that happen? <clears throat> Uh, that was all this year uh during it the, was uh, this year yeah during this uh, 
Yeah, during uh, the, when U.S. Uh, Congress had a, a UFO hearing, which I listened to, uh, which was very fascinating. Um, they had three people that used to work for the government. Uh, the one uh, gentleman was a, a fighter pilot that caught that famous video you see. They call it the Tic Tac mm-hmm, mm-hmm. UFO. He was the, the gentleman that caught that. <clears throat> and then they had David Grush, uh, who's a former uh, U.S. intelligence officer that was working on a uh, UFO retrieval program. And, um, yeah, it's <clears throat> very fascinating. But for some reason, the government still has that flex where they just don't answer our questions. They just kind of typical political answers, right? They just talk in circles and don't really answer our questions. That's true. That's true. That is so interesting that now we are able to actually determine uh, and have a sample to um, investigate and research and actually determine that those species uh, did not have uh, human DNA and yeah. have extraterrestrial DNA. Octopus is actually uh, what the scientists have discovered that octopus, uh, they are the ultimate shapeshifters and uh, they don't have uh, the DNA that came from the earth. <coughs> I've, uh, I've heard that actually there was a uh, university professor, he might have been from Harvard, that wrote a paper on octopuses thinking that octopuses might have been uh, extraterrestrial. That's very interesting because we never know how their life appeared on this earth from the yeah. same probably organisms that they were somewhere in, on other planets, somewhere in extraterrestrial space. Yeah. <clears throat> no, it's, uh, it's really fascinating. Yeah, I'm just uh, searching the news now. So uh, uh, like the Daily Mail, for example, says the mummified aliens found in Peru have 30% DNA of unknown species. And that was just uh, released two weeks ago. And then I haven't heard about it. <clears throat> that I is know. so interesting. I know. That's, Seems that's, to me that it should become the really uh, the fascinating public subject to discuss, but it is not. No, that's that's what I mean. I, I I'm blown away that it's not, you know, more big popular news but it's it's almost like uh, i don't know people are just wrapped up in their own world i guess just trying to survive <laughs> not sure what's going on i think it's absolutely fascinating you know um especially uh you know given how vast the universe is and how many planets there are and just the, the vast distances i i mean we can't be the only living thing you know floating around in the universe got and- some other people out there floating around in the universe <laughs> maybe maybe there's a maybe there's some aliens listening to uh, our podcast <laughs> floating around are you thinking about taking a bath now floating a bath now? <laughs> getting your sinuses to work it's like oh, floating fill- around in the universe they're fill- yeah they're they're filling up again on me i'll probably have one more tea before uh oh my before God. bed here oh. i managed I, I, I mostly managed to survive. <laughs> Poor thing, exactly. You managed to survive, yes. And I hope that you will feel better tomorrow. Oh yeah, I'm hoping. <clears throat> I'm hoping. Do you uh, do you have any projects on the go? I know you said you were contacted a while ago about uh, possibly doing uh, an investigation um, in your area. Yeah, but for that investigation, they actually asked me not to talk about it. And, you know, I see so many cases like that. People don't want to be uh, discussed by the public. They don't want their names to be known. because they I don't think, think that's necessarily a bad thing, though. You know, well, it I, is not. Exactly. I think it's good. It shows that somebody's not out seeking, you know, media attention or 
stuff like that. Yeah, and that is also, of course, that it becomes uh, public. It can ruin careers, it can ruin lives and relationships. So it's a better not. And a lot of the times when people would contact me, they would ask things to be confidential. Of course, I can change names and just talk about it. But if this one is so fresh now that the devil know that I'm talking about them, so I would rather not. But it's uh, uh, with another, I guess it's a personal case of mine. Uh, I have been working with um, with a person for probably for the past couple of years. And the interesting thing is that we discovered uh, what stood behind uh, his um, family problems. And the family problems that he had was just a nonstop physical illnesses of every member of the family. And we were able to pinpoint the person who stood behind it. And um, at that time, we tackled the problem and we were able to set the, the guard on the family and heal them all. But that person is one of the, I would say, one of the very indecent people who would uh, tackle with the uh, witchcraft and actually want uh, to make the life of that family miserable. Mm. And uh, I thought we closed the case last year. But this year, when um, he came back, he actually uh, said that they have been sick for the past five months and unable to get out of it. And I said, okay, I'm going to look into that without even promising because you never know. And Dr. Elliot, I looked into that, meaning I haven't done anything. I just looked into that. Guess what? I started what? to have all of the physical problems that family has, including the back problems, the sciatica problems of him, of his. And I'm like, what is going on? Because he didn't tell me about it in the uh, detail what was happening to him. And like, I went to the doctors. I had the shots in my back, you know, big, big, I couldn't even walk. I couldn't sit. It was so bad. Like, what is happening to me? I couldn't even work on his case during this week. So when he called me, I said, listen, I, I have not been able to attend to your case because this has been really difficult for me. And he said, what happened? And he's a doctor. And I shared with him. He said, this is incredible because this is exactly what's been happening to me for quite some time now. And I understood. Uh, so the person who was bothering them last year came back and I asked to send them um, the picture of the person to me back again, because I, uh, um, in my notes, I don't usually keep the photographs of the people. And that was one of the <clears throat> most horrifying pictures of um, a person in his 30s. The most horrifying, you know, I see that, I saw that um, you posted, um, what was that on Instagram? I guess you posted uh, the cursed um, paintings. Oh yes, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. 
one of them was the painting of a child. And when I looked at that. Oh, yes, yes. I couldn't look at it more than a second or even split second because that was not a child. And there was a reason why that painting is cursed. Because yeah, that's probably the, the crying boy painting. Um, no, it wasn't saw. a crying boy. It was a girl. It was a girl. It was actually the really nice, a pretty um, painting of a girl, like probably 10, year, 10 years old. Okay. Uh, or maybe I looked it up. Oh, yeah. I did my own research. I said, hmm, how many people, how many cursed paintings are there? And one of them was that. So oh, okay. interestingly enough, when I looked at that and I said to myself, this is absolutely incredible. By just looking at the picture of somebody and know that there is something demonic behind it. And you don't want to look at that for more than a second. So the same thing happened here. And I... I uh, understood that this is a completely demonic entity behind this person. And that is why that he was able, that was a guy. And that he, why, that why, that's why he was able to torture this family so much uh, because of the jealousy and hatred and um, really doing the black magic for many, many, many years. And we can dismiss that, of course, as something non-existent, but uh, uh, it has been in my case right now. And all I did was to look. Wow. I didn't ask questions. I didn't uh, even uh, um, <clears throat> call up on any counselors to see. I just looked. Wow. Who yeah. The, could that those... be? And bam, because they can put a shield uh, so they will not be discovered. And whoever finds out about them, they know immediately, by the way, they know immediately who sees that, who uh, figure them out, who calls the rats out. You know, so he did. And that's why I got all these um, problems. Uh, and as soon as I realized that and uh, I got all the courts and um was just a simple, uh, what are they called? I'm falling asleep here already. Ah, <laughs> it's winter time, winter. Uh, with certain just simple rituals, I was able to uh, rid myself of that situation. However, I still have remnants, but no sciatica. I'm able to walk. So it's impossible. You know, today you have sciatica, you're dying, you're unable to walk, and then tomorrow you don't. As soon as I was able to pinpoint that. So here's the thing. You don't have to even uh, battle the um, the dark world. You don't have to battle. It's enough sometimes to even look at the origin of the problem. And actually by, uh, by sympathetic connection with those people and with the situation, you can get the same kind of uh, uh, problems. And I'm sure that it happened in your uh, paranormal investigation career as well when mediums would come and they would immediately be able to uh, sense what is happening on the spot, right? In the houses, uh, they would um, even have problems uh, uh, like yeah, stomach some... or headaches or anything yes. like that, but the person who died there. Yes. Yeah. I've seen that. I've seen where they've, you know, they've felt the, the person's symptoms, you know, like for example, when Jody went to the house uh, where the gentleman's dad had died of a heart attack, she felt the mm -hmm. symptoms of that. Mm -hmm. But I've also uh, seen uh, mediums go to homes and almost uh, suffer spiritual attacks, almost like what you were describing with the, mm -hmm. with this uh, uh, occult kind of case here, you know? So um, yeah, very, very interesting. I see um, John Harley commenting, saying that uh, 
that had yeah, she, a comment. Oh my god, just had a yeah. had a comment, had a picture in our hallway when I was a child, hated it, uh, or scared, uh, should I say. Yeah, some some paintings or pictures just kind of give you um give you that bad vibe. A lot looks of like them, she, a lot of looks them. Looks like Sherry was watching us tonight too. She yeah, Sherry. Hello, Dr. Sherry. <laughs> Look at that UFO. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I was going to um, mention one case, and we will be done for today because our time is coming uh, yes. to an end. Yeah, go ahead. I was in Washington, D.C. probably like 15 years ago, maybe longer. And I went to the Smithsonian Museum, and I was just walking around, and I love museums, and uh, was just strolling along. And in one of the rooms, I saw the very interesting, uh, very small painting of what I thought probably was Jesus, because it was a naked child uh, with, a, with a staff. So in my mind, it was probably Jesus. But that painting attracted my attention like a magnet. Mm -hmm. And I took a picture of it. And what I did, I put it as a screensaver on my phone. I can't tell you the horror I went through until the time that I took off that painting and destroyed it actually from my phone. Really? So, it, unbelievably horrible things. And I would I would get so sick by even looking at this painting and I would get hallucinations even. So I came back uh, probably in, in a couple of days. I was staying in DC for a few days. And in a couple of days, I realized what was happening and I took that picture picture off and oh my God, I said, never in my life. So I'm going back to the Smithsonian Museum and I'm getting to the same room where the painting was hanging and there is a person, one of the attendants, the docents, and I asked him, I said, do you know this painting? He said, I've been working here for the past 20 years. And I've never seen this painting in this room ever in my life until you pointed to it. Wow. Now, how is it possible? And when he was standing <clears throat> in front of it, he said, this is a horrifying picture. And he started to get sick and dizzy at the same time. So even paintings, we never know how they were made. We never know what intentions were put behind that painting. So yeah, that's true. Well, I, I real stories from one, life. I've got one in my office that uh, that's just it. Uh, the lady was going through a hard time when she painted it, and uh, uh, when she was finished and put it up on her wall, it would always fly off her wall, and it ended up striking her husband one night. So uh, I told her, you know, she was looking to get rid of it. So, and you put uh, it to your house? <laughs> I, I had her ship it. Yeah, I've got it up, up here in my office on my wall. So nothing <laughs> happened. Nothing no, happens. Is that? Haven't had anything. Everything happen. is fine. No, maybe that good. painting had something against the husband. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that is very interesting. I'll have to yeah. find out uh, from Michelle. I'll have to talk to Michelle and uh, find out how we put images up on the uh, on our uh, a podcast for uh, the people that are watching. Because uh, uh, yeah, 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 that would be great some, to do. Some, sometimes I can throw up like you know a picture of that for people to see and stuff. I'll find out next week from Michelle. And, I guess uh, we can share a screen. Yeah, we're gonna we'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, this has been such an interesting conversation. 
It has. I'm glad. I'm glad I made it through. You did. Through. You did. For which I'm so grateful. I could, I could not leave my partner hanging high and dry. <laughs> <laughs> you were like sipping teas, taking baths. Like, come on, spring the nose. I, like, okay, I was. Doing I got to be present. I got to be yeah. present. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Dr. Elliot. No problem. And thanks everyone who was watching and listening to us on the science and paranormal on the yes, united public radio network 107.7 fm and we are ending up for tonight and hope to see you next week and by next week dr elliot is going to be all nice and healthy and <laughs> gonna be i'll be back 100 yeah i'll be back 100 next week guys all right <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, everyone. Have, have a good night, night, everyone. And thank have you for listening. <laughs> Bye -bye. Ooh, the dogs.